Welcome to the 142nd edition of the Guna Podcast. This is your host, Kevin Witcher. Once again, stepping in for Mark Ollington, who this month tells us that although he planned to be hosting for us this evening, his kids were taken ill and his better half had to go to work, or something along those lines. Get well soon, everybody, and we hope to hear the dulcet tones of the host with the most in 2016. We're recording on the Monday evening after the 2-0 away victory at Aston Villa. A third win in a row for the Gunners after a questionable November. In a week's time, they host Manchester City four days before Christmas. And now time for the panel introductions. We have two regulars and one of our occasional guests. Let's get the predictable pair out of the way first, and I'll spare you too much details as I've run out of things to say about these two. First up on sparkling Perrier water this evening, it's the man of a thousand names, known to you as Mr. Mustafa Goldstein. Hello. And next up, Hawley's answer to Nigel Farage, and a man <laughs> for whom the Christmas drinks party season holds few fears. On a bottle of Australian Cabernet Merlot this evening, it's the Highbury, Highbury spy himself, Mr. Steve Ashford. A very nice hardy stamp, Cabernet Merlot, and welcome everyone. And our special guest this evening is a long-term Guna contributor, Arsenal Supporters Trust board member and star of the Twitter sphere. He's on Erdinger Weisbier this evening. It's welcome back to Mr Phil Wall. Evening, Kevin. Rightio, gentlemen. So, uh, where to start? Well, I think we should start with Barcelona in the Champions League draw. Are we optimistic? Basti, can we beat them for once? Well, we will turn to each other and say it was never in any doubt. <laughs> um, well, you never know, do you? We're on a bit of a roll and everything, but I'd say as soon as we got them at home first, you know, we'll do the probably maybe get a 1 0 or 2 0 and all pat ourselves on the back and then go out there and lose 4 1 or something. Um, it's unlikely we're going to beat Barcelona. I think they're just a bit of a level above, like Bayern Munich, they're in a sort of different sphere from us. That having been said, it's football. Someone, you know, we might be remembered as the team that knocked out Barcelona. So, um, of course, I, I booked my ticket this morning for 39 quid. I've got a nasty feeling I got the wrong month, but um, <laughs> I, I, I managed to get my ticket immediately on hearing the, the draw. I thought, sod it, even if I don't have a ticket for the, the match yet, but I thought, sod it. Get, cheap flight, get out there and see what happens. Worst comes to worst, I'll watch it in a bar in Barcelona. Phil, let's just say a bit of a flight of fancy here. Let's say Arsenal managed to beat Barcelona over two legs. Would you then think they had what it takes to actually win the, the whole competition for the first time ever? Uh, well, I wasn't expecting that question. I was, uh, was all lined up to say, no, of course we're not going to beat Barcelona. <laughs> but um, suppose we do. Well, uh, it's luck of the draw, really. I think it's luck of the draw. You, you need a couple of good draws in the last 16, maybe a bit of luck in the last eight and a good draw in the last four or vice versa, and and then you've got a chance, unless you, you are Barcelona or Bayern Munich when you expect to sail through the semi-finals and probably get to the final, Real Madrid would be the obvious competition for those two. So I, I wouldn't be taking much for granted even if we did beat Barcelona. Um, I think it would still be quite a long shot, to be honest. Um, but you know the regular pattern at this stage of competition is that we get stuffed in the first leg and then make a heroic but ultimately futile effort in the second leg and win but not by quite enough goals so I think that's far more likely than getting through to be honest we actually against Barcelona we normally get a result at home in the first leg so we kind of uh, revert to uh, well, against type if you want uh, we'll see anyway 
Um, Steve, now you do normally sell your season ticket for the grade A matches I to help, help you fund your renewals <coughs> yep. because you don't think it's value for money. Yep. Will you be watching Messrs. Messi, Suarez and Neymar in February at the home game? I certainly will. <laughs> I certainly will. <laughs> A man of principle. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he says at the moment. <laughs> as, as, as the two gentlemen to my right both said, I mean, Barcelona. Steve, that was the right view. Bar- yeah, Barcelona. <laughs> Barcelona are a class apart. You know, I know Bayern Munich are a pretty good side as well, but they don't have the same glamour as Barcelona. <clears throat> I went to the two previous Barcelona home games and really enjoyed them, uh, where we drew and won. We can beat them at the Emirates. Suarez doesn't tend to play all that well at the Emirates. I don't think he scored at the Emirates. I could be wrong. But we still, we've still got to cope with Messi and Neymar, which is going to be no mean feat. And even, and even if we do beat them at the, the Emirates, we'll probably lose. But I'll be there to see it. I want to see the atmosphere. And, you know, it's, it's not, not often we get a chance to see Barcelona at home. So I'll be there. Yes. I, I think mean, an important point is that do we want to win it? Because we're top of the league and we do stand a chance of winning that one um, at this stage as I speak. Um, not that January, might, we might look, I might look back at what I just said and go, oh God. But um, at the moment... Mm, we could probably do without the distraction and an honourable exit you know a near 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 win defeat to Barcelona is not a bad you know no one's expecting it and then go and win the league and then go and win the league would still be a very 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 good season in fact I'll add another very okay alright I'd settle for that and Chelsea relegated as well that would be good well of course that would be a dream double Um, but you know even if we beat them at the Emirates we'll still get thrashed out there And and I can't see Mertesacker holding off either of that front three or the Rampage in midfield you know Mertesacker is just not built to defend against Barcelona <laughs> that's scary so I would I would actually play Paul Lister Gabriel for two or three games before the Barcelona ones just to get him up to speed match fit what, and then I'd lose, try my luck Premiership games I would try my luck with no. Gabriel and Kozielny for the two matches before Barcelona on the hope that the pair of them with their pace could keep Barcelona quiet. And we were win Premier Leagues with them as well, I think. You know? Well, I'm not so sure about Gabriel Lister because he, he does tend to, he likes to put the ball in our own net, doesn't, doesn't he? Well, he won't against Barcelona. No, but he might in the Premier League against Bournemouth and whoever he's been playing would, before. Would, would in, um, in a normal match, who would be your first choice centre-back pairing? Well, I love Mertesacker. I think he's absolutely brilliant. I love the way that he comes up to clap the, the fans at the end. I love the rapport he has with the fans. I think he's Arsenal through and through. A mascot could do that. I think that. he's a great... But you say that, <coughs> the other eight don't go and do it, do they? It's usually only Mertesacker Mertes and Walcott. Mm. The others just troop off. Um, the Ox does it when he plays. Um, but he's a great Premier League centre-half, Mertesacker, but he's not a world-class centre-half. We need a world-class centre-half to beat Barcelona. Yeah, can you just ma- imagine Lionel Messi against Mertesacker? Do we, just... do, do we have any world-class centre-halves? Well, I think, Gab- I think Gabriel's played in Spain, and he's probably, I think he's kept clean sheets against Barcelona with Villarreal. So let's just tap onto that experience. We've got, it, it's our only hope. We had, we had Vermeulen, and he's playing for Barcelona now, isn't he? <clears> yes. So, yeah, uh, but, but I'll tell you what, if <laughs> yeah, Vermeulen or Vermeulen plays... I mean, uh, and we've got, because he's only playing for us, that's one position we're better than them. <laughs> <laughs> and mind you, you'd be, you'd be world class if you were playing with Barcelona, because, I mean, you know, it, it's always easier to play with a great team. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, what do you think? You wouldn't, you wouldn't start with... I think Koscielny, Koscielny is, be- get, is getting there. I think he's really becoming um, a, a very good centre-half indeed. You can't Phil, start Phil, with do you have an opinion on this? Uh, well, Koscielny plays in a, in a very understated way. He doesn't make a fuss about anything, whether it's Costa smacking him in the face or, or anything else. He, he just gets on with it. So I think some people have been slow to give him as much credit as he probably deserves. Um, Murtasaka, as uh, my learned colleagues have suggested, is, uh, is possibly a liability against very fast and skillful forwards, um, who are undoubtedly world-class. Uh, I, I don't share Basti's... Um, seemingly poor opinion of Gabriel who um, who I think has got flaws and needs probably needs a run of games to get at top speed which again is Steve's suggestion so um, 
Yeah, I think uh, I think give Arsenal a phone call and, and tell him Steve's idea of bringing Gabriel in a couple of games ahead and let's see what what pair of them can, uh, can do hold chance. out. Yeah, that is our only chance. I, I did, by the way, when Gabriel's first two games, I did say we've got our new Martin Keown. So I'm not anti-Gabriel per se, but I, I, I think he's a rough diamond. I don't think he's quite ready yet. Okay, just to you know, it's a good me- mid-season rest for the for the BFG anyway. Mm. He can well, get his legs back for the run into the time. Used to a winter break, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's not quite as good looking as Keown, but he can't have everything. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Well, obviously. Uh, more immediately, uh, Arsenal are top of the table, at least until the conclusion of this evening's match between Leicester and Chelsea. Can we, before that, can we just have, because we don't do any songs anymore, can we just have a quick, we are top of the league, say we, we are, are top, top of the league. league, we are top of the league, say we are top of the league. There we go. Right, nice. Um, I'm going to ask you for a percentage Good here. but no guitar. A percentage, <laughs> in your opinion, what is Arsenal's percentage chance of winning the league? Phil? Uh, 32.7. Mm. Oh, I'd go a little more than that. I'd definitely go with a nice 51. Wow. Oh, difficult, wasn't it? Mm. If City play the second half of the season, mm. like they've played the first half, mm. and yet again, Arsenal, in a calendar year, have taken more points than any other team in 2015. Mm. Apparently we've got 75 points since last January. Right. And I think we did the same in 2013. Didn't win the title then. This year, I think we've got more than a more than an even chance. I reckon 60-40. Blimey! All right. So, so they 60-40, meaning there's, there's only two teams who can win it. There's only two teams in it: us and City. No one else is going to win it. Categorically state that now. No one else is going to. I think win you're the title. probably right, but they do yeah. have small percentage chances, and you add those up. Yeah. And that comes to maybe. 20 to 30 percent, and then Possibly. that leaves 30 something percent for Arsenal yeah. City. Yeah, probably. And Leicester City fans listening might have a thing or two to say about that. Yeah. Especially if they beat yeah. Chelsea tonight. Yeah, which, which I hope they don't. I want Chelsea to win for the first no, time. You don't. No, 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 no. Nil nil draw. No, come on. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, let me put it to you like this. Let's just say that on Monday next week, Manchester City won yeah. at Arsenal. Would it be too early to then write off Arsenal's title chances? No, we'd only be a point behind. We'd only be a point behind. No, yes, it would be too early. Isn't that game hugely psychologically significant? And isn't it those type of games that will determine a title win? It's only psychologically significant until you get another couple of games under your belt. Mm. And also, mm. this, the season we're having as they pundits love to say, there'll be a few more twists and turns before the end <laughs> yes, of the season. Absolutely. So it's too early to, you know, before, before February, March, I don't <laughs> think anyone's going to be able to call it, unless one, one of the teams really gets a nice little cushion going. I would say nice little hoping it's Arsenal. But well, even that, that's throwable awayable, isn't it? Well, that's why it's brilliant going into that game, being two points ahead of them. Mm. I mean, if they, off, do, if they do beat us, they're only a point ahead. So at this stage of the season, we can take that. The mere fact we're entertaining this at this stage of the season means that actually this has been probably the best season so far and all the anti-Arsenal Wenger brigade are surely be sitting there, on their hands Since the, the stadium move, there have been three seasons where after 16 matches Arsenal have been in first place. So this is the fourth time. Right, OK. okay. Now, I'm offering you a draw on Monday. Yep. Are you going to take it? Yep, because it keeps us two points ahead of them. Right. Definitely. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Take a draw, yeah. Nice one all draw is what would, would suit us fine. Right. Well, looking ahead, I'm actually going to bring in some um, people who've tweeted. So uh, there's a bit of a mix here, but uh, asking similar things. I'm going to combine them all. So uh, with uh, thanks to Jonathan Houseman, Simon Rose, our Guna contributor, and Nasir, all on Twitter. Uh, they've asked, basically, I'll read them all. Well, number one... From Nasir, would Wanyama be a good addition to Arsenal? Simon Rose asks, which striker stroke defensive midfielder January signings would win us the title? And Jonathan says, would a defensive midfield signing in January be enough to enable us to compete in the league all the way to May? So similar kind of uh, queries. Uh, One name, two positions. Are we going to buy in January 
Not sure, not sure about Wanyama, to be honest. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. Is he that much better than what we've already got? Um, well, what, what we've already got is injured. Yeah, he's yeah. one extra for <laughs> yeah, when we've got yeah. a load of injuries. That's I mean, one point. probably better than Firmini, but I don't think he's quite as mobile as Firmini. What? Well, <laughs> one thing about, have one you thing watched, about, about that? Firmini is mobile. You see him yesterday, he's all over the place. <coughs> what you want... He's I mean, eager, he's keen. He's eager and keen. Yeah. He scored those two goals. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes he can be in the penalty area exactly. when the other team are attacking exactly. ours. Exactly. Yeah. That, well, that, that That's mobile for you. That means he's mobile. <laughs> One yeah, he's just going to sit. But and, if, and he, we, if he is in the wrong place, he will at least point to the right place. <laughs> yeah. So we probably do want someone who sits, but I think there are better players than One Yama to do that. Any names? Um, and you're going to laugh. Fantasy you're, you're going to laugh? No. Jedinak at Palace. Okay. He's not currently in their first team because mm. Cavani's keeping him out. Mm. He's an Australian international, relatively young, only about 30. We could probably pick him up for two or three million. He'd be a million times better than Arteta as cover for Cazorla and Coquelin and to play now. Uh, he's a good player, he's an international, and he would sit. And I think he would improve the team enormously. For two or three million, we could probably get him. So... Well, Steve, not, Steve yeah. as long as I can remember, you've been recommending players from Crystal Palace. Yeah. You've got to think about yeah, Crystal, I like Crystal Palace. Palace. Yeah, yeah. I like. I'm, I know their players. <laughs> I know their players. So I know. Okay. Them. How about Alan Pardew to succeed Arsene Wenger? No, pass on that one. <laughs> pass on that one. Although he does go down the pub with the fans, doesn't he? As he did this weekend. <laughs> I didn't realise that. Um, yeah, I'm he not couldn't do that at Newcastle. Forgive me no. for not talking too much about the uh, the overseas players. I, I don't know how good Lars Bender is. I don't know how good our Cavalio is. I don't know how good our um, this cryptic guy from Seville is so I only know how good Jedernak is so mm. I'll take him okay. um, I mean are there any names that uh, come to yourself Phil or not just... really because I, I don't watch enough of other people's football uh, to get uh, let me put it to you another way it, then. So. do we need <laughs> do we need to sign anybody in January in terms of position or do you think we could get away with it I think we need one or two signings just to just to generally bolster the squad. In, in some ways, it doesn't actually matter what, where they play, but we just need a couple more people to give a couple more options, especially when people are injured, as they inevitably seem to be. So, uh, so I think it would give a boost to the squad. It would show the desire, and I leave it to Arsene to decide who the right people are and where he's going to get them from. I, I don't know that. That's what he's paid £8 million for, to organise his scouting network and go and find these people. So I would hope that he does spend some money, as we all know and have discussed many times, the club has got plenty of money. They can spend it. They can get a couple of people in. That will boost the squad's confidence, boost the fans' confidence, and just make us more prepared for whatever the second half of the season throws at us. Yeah, I agree totally. Totally agree with that. I think we've been totally. fortuitous in that Ramsey and Walcott have come back as Cazorla and um, Sanchez have gone out. You know, somehow, we, you know, last season they'd all have been out and we're, there does, it does seem to me that you know, if, if Ramsey and, and Walcott can stay fit for a little bit and get a couple of months, then there'll be more people coming back when they go out again. You know, that is, but you do, as, as you said, it would be good to have, if that isn't the case, you know, say Walcott goes out again quickly, or that there's someone, or Ramsey, uh, someone who could, or rather than, well, Arteta's out as well, I was going to say, rather than the likes of Arteta and Flamini to come in, but um, yeah. even, even, you know, uh, who I, I, mean, I don't really rate as world class, or, um, so, yeah, we're, we're not in a, you know, we're, we're, I for once, it seemed, things seem to be rolling our way, he said, touching wood. Even going back to that Barcelona game, if we've, if we've got any serious intention of beating Barcelona, we're going to need another solid midfielder protecting the back four away from home and to a certain extent at the Emirates. So we need someone, you know. Otherwise, we're going to go out, we're going to lose. What about a striker? I mean, is, is, are we... Have we got what we need with Giroud and Walcott? Let's assume they stay. I'd love fit. another striker. We're looking at Cochrane, uh, Torpedo, Dynamo Moscow. Yeah. I mean, there's a fact that Ken Fryer and uh, Liam Brady flew out to Moscow at the same time <laughs> as they happened to be playing a match. Ah. So, Is he uh, good? Well, he scored for Russia in the World Cup, and I don't think he's particularly prolific. No. So, but he's very young. 
Yeah. So I mean, I'm liking Giroud at the moment. I mean, everyone must like Giroud at the moment. Mm. Yeah. What, wouldn't, what would Chelsea give to have him at the moment? Mm. Okay, uh, uh, by the way, <laughs> did it take this long for us to work out that our striker should take penalties? <laughs> I mean, we've all watched Cazorla, Arteta, and Özil miss big penalties. Uh, and I do get the feeling that Giroud, someone who'll just he'll do the simple thing like that. The penalty yesterday against Villa, he thought, well, I shot to the left last time. The keeper's going to go to the left because he thinks that's all I can do with my left foot. So I'll just put it left of right of centre. And guess what? It, you know, it went in. I think Giroud's actually got a pretty good head on him when it comes to football. Um, and I don't know about his nightlife or stuff like that, but um, he's certainly an uh, uh, improvement on Bentner, isn't he? The only thing with Giroud is if he does get an injury, touch, touch wood, he doesn't. If he does get an injury, I'm not confident about Walcott up front. Mm-hmm. I think Walcott's a winger and always will be. Mm-hmm. Like yesterday, when he when he got the penalty, he was running he was running wide left down the wing, mm-hmm. and he, he created the the ball through for the second goal from a wing position, a deep lying wing position. Um, I don't see Walcott as a front player at all. To but, be but with Özil together and Ramsey, they're going to supply some good balls. Yeah. Um, actually, Walcott supplied a great ball yesterday, didn't he? Yeah. So. Um, but that's with Giroud in the team. You know, yeah. as, yeah. as you're saying, Steve, Giroud and Walcott are completely different kinds of players. Mm. And if we lose one of them, then we lose a whole facet of the game. And I agree with you, Walcott is not a centre-forward. <clears throat> Maybe he'll turn into one, but I think he's leaving it late. Mm. Um, but he, he can't do half the stuff Giroud does. No. If we lose Giroud, then we've lost a lot of options. I mean, I mean can you imagine if Walcott was up front in Athens last Wednesday? Imagine Giroud was injured and Walcott had to play up front. We would have, we would have drawn that game nil-nil mm. or lost it mm. because Walcott would not have got either of those um, Giroud goals, mm. not the, the first way, or the second. And yesterday, the Villa game, I've got to say, why is it we can't always just have um, Ozil, Ramsey and Giroud in a line at the front in loads of space to tap the ball in? <laughs> that was a sort of, you know, can't we do that, that well, trick every time? No, you know, I mean, I've, I've long been an advocate for playing two strikers or two forwards in the same team. Yeah. Especially at home. Yeah. And when you need a result. So it was great to see Walcott and Giroud play, even though Walcott wasn't really playing as a striker. Great to see those two in the same team, which Wenger was loath to do at the start of the season. Mm. He was playing one or the other, wasn't he? Yeah. But you, you put them both in. Walcott is always going to play slightly behind Giroud, isn't he? Yeah. But yeah. With his pace, he's yeah. going to get forward and create yeah. stuff, and yeah. Giroud is going to make space. Yeah, yeah I like that. can work quite well. I like that. And I've said this yeah. millions of times, and I'll say it again, that I'll say sort of every few months, you know, the old days of Ian Wright and Thierry Henry, or actually Ian Wright more, when the other team has, the opponents have a, a corner, why isn't he, on, you know, Walcott on the halfway line, holding back two defenders, clearance, route one, he's going to take them on for pace. That's what Ian Wright used to do, you know, and I, I've never understood that because someone like Walcott isn't going to help defend the corner anyway. I don't anymore, think the players are allowed to play lump, lumped passes up to the other half. <laughs> no, but, you're, but the thing is, you're keeping two centre-halves back there on the halfway. I can see the logic. Rather so than them coming up and going up for a head. We or did so. that against Spurs, didn't we? You know, we were one down. Really? The legs had gone big time at the Emirates. We were one down. Yeah. Brought Gibbs on. And we couldn't get through their midfield. Their midfield was excellent that day. And we just lumped it up front. And luckily we equalised. And Giroud missed loads ahead of chances, didn't he? From, from balls that were just pumped into the area. We could have got two or three goals. Which brings us neatly on to the fact that Tottenham Hotspurs have lost their first game in a wee while. Which is worth noting. Oh my God, didn't we celebrate yesterday in the pub? <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that for the record, that ought to be there, on the, on the pod. There are people still talking about Tottenham as potential title winners. Oh, fuck off. I know, I know, I know. But based on the fact that they had only lost one game... No, they've remembered they're Tottenham now. They've just lost at home to Newcastle. They've suddenly remembered, oh, shit, we're Tottenham Hotspur. You know we're crap. <laughs> we, think, we think we're bad off for players. They were cheering when that song came on. Mm. And I, I said to the bloke I was sitting with, I said, Terry, not just the bloke, Terry, my good mate Terry. I said, tell, I said... We think we've got problems. They've got Son coming on and he's their hero. Mm. It says it all, really. Right, we're going to have a look at another department in the team. And thanks to Joe Gagliardi for this. Um, He says, with Ramsey in the middle, are Santi Cazorla's days as an Arsenal player numbered because he is 31 years old? Now, there is a chance that he may not even return this season. If he does, it probably would be towards the end of March. 
Um, I mean, have we seen enough of Ramsey in what is his, his preferred position to say that actually he will keep Cazorla out? Does he do a better job, Phil? Uh, I think he does a different job, um, or, or maybe does the same job in a different way. Cazorla uh, is, is very creative, um, sort of buzzes around the place. I mean, whether he actually does a lot different to Ramsey, or not, I'm, I'm not sure. He just he looks different, but. The, you know, the fact is, as you say, he's almost 31. He's not going to last very much longer. Um, when's his contract up? Do we know that? I think he signed a new one, didn't he? Yeah, Probably I don't think uh, it's yeah. any time soon. I think mm. it's at least 18 months. But I, I think he may mm. he may turn into the next Radzicki, who who sort of hangs around in the background quite a lot. Whether he's he'll be happy with that, or whether he thinks he can get back in the team, I don't know. But. Um, I think definitely the future is is Ramsey in the central role, the creative central role. When I say creative, the more creative of the two defensive ones, and a stopper midfielder next to Ramsey. I think I slightly prefer Ramsey for the reason that he's a bit more Paul Davis, Berg Campy in the sense that he plays for the team and he looks for the pass. Where I feel that Cazorla sometimes hangs on to the ball a bit too long, especially when we're defending. And how many times has he lost it? Um, uh, you know, I've, I've had my heart in my mouth when Cazorla's sort of spinning around in a little circle trying to show that he can beat a player mm. when really, he, you know, there are feet in front of him to pass mm. to so, um, of course he's immensely talented and he's scored some great goals and he's, he's put in some great passes and he's done some great mm. things but he's, he's a double-edged sword in that he can lose the ball as much as he can win you a game um, so, I'm not to say Ramsey isn't capable of that as well but I think Ramsey's somehow a bit more mature uh, mentally I think Cazorla's future role in the team would be as an Ozil replacement or as a as cover for Ozil behind the front players because mm. he's, he's got the skill to play that role. Yeah, there's no, there's no way, that, no reason why Cazorla can't do that. You know, if you want to give Ozil a rest, just bring Cazorla in. Yeah, I don't like Cazorla playing deep. I don't yeah. like him playing defensive midfield at all because I don't think he's, he doesn't have the defensive. No, he's, thing he's not the um, he's not the big bully boy type that you need. No, you know. I mean without Cockerlan there, just just him and and Flamini isn't quite. You know, you, I'd rather have Ramsey then somehow. Yeah. I think yeah. if ever you've been arrested Ozil and you thought, oh, because all playing instead. You think, oh, that's all right, fine. Yeah, that's a good, yeah. Good, good yeah. substitution. I yeah. think he's happier yeah. there as well. I think he'd rather be creating things, doing things up the top half of the pitch than uh, turning little circles and losing possession uh, nearer our penalty area. Which, which mm. was the game in which Coquelin was injured? Do you remember? West Brom. It was West Brom. West Brom. Mm. We were in the 12 pins. Right, so after West Brom, that the only game we had after that in November was, was Norwich in the league. Norwich, yeah. Right, okay. yeah. I'm just wondering if that explains the dodgy, the dodgy November, because we obviously lost at Bayern, you know, we lost at West Brom, we, we drew at home with Spurs at the beginning of the month, um, we did beat Dynamo Zagreb, but then we got the draw at Norwich. Mm. Um, I mean, what is it about November? Is it just a fluke? It's, it's every year, isn't it? Well, it's not every year, but statistically it is marked that we lose twice the amount of What games. did I say? There is a statistic. We only win 35% <coughs> of our matches in November, Right. historically, uh, whereas in other months we win anything up to 70% of our matches. Yeah. You, have to, you have to think that maybe it's some kind of lull at that point of the season when you've played roughly a certain number of games. You know, you've reached a level of fitness before the season starts, and... I don't know, something about how far you push your body or something and then there's a bit of a lull in November because I don't, I don't know how else you can explain that it's always that time of the year or very, very often it's that time of the year that we seem to fall back a bit and then recover. Maybe we just get, a, maybe something to do with our pre-season training means that we get a, a kind of lull in fitness or conditioning in some way at different times than most other teams. I don't know, it's just... Well, my view, everyone's theory. had a bad November this season, haven't they? Well, yes. But but everybody can't lose every match like we do. No. Somebody's got to be winning them. The teams yeah. have yeah. beat us for a start. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's probably something to do with the change in climate. Uh, you, know, cha- you know, we've got a lot of players who... Uh, warm-weather players. Uh, well, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but they've been in England a while now. Yeah, no, still, no, it's, they don't fancy it up north against Stoke. <laughs> you know? In fact, in the Premier League, only one team not from London has beaten us, and that's West Brom. And we should have got a draw then. Right, are you talking about this season? Yeah. Right, okay. Because we'd previously lost to West Ham and Chelsea. Ah, okay, fair enough. Um, All right, well, um, let's talk about the injuries then, because we had a few of those. 
Now, um, Jermaine Genus came up with a theory. And he said when he was training with England at London Colney, his joints would normally ache more afterwards due to what he described as hard sand-based pitches. And he always knew he would be hurting more after a session there than after a normal training session wherever he was based uh, club-wise at the time. Do you think... I mean, that's coming from a player. Do you think there's anything in it? I mean, do you think that might be you know what? the it's explanation? The first, first time I've ever heard anything like that. Yeah, me too. First time I've ever heard a player say that... I mean, if, if that's the case, why don't all the England players that train at London Colney say the same thing? Well, Keown came out with something similar, but I've heard conflicting stories about this, and obviously the club deny it and say it's a little rubbish anyway. But um, Keown apparently said the same thing and said they made all the training pitches the same as the, the playing surface in the ground. Hmm. For you know, This is Arsene wanting to replicate everything as perfectly as possible, so all the playing conditions are as close as possible. The grass is cut to the nearest millimetre and everything else. Um, but then somebody else said, well, actually, Keown never played on those pitches anyway because he'd left by that time, so he doesn't know anything about, about it and doesn't know what he's talking about. So I don't know what the truth is here, but it would be interesting if there is any more evidence from other players. But as Steve says, one player saying it sounds slightly odd. Why yeah, don't they all yeah. have the same problem? Yeah. Well, they might say it, but they don't yeah. want to sort of rock the boat politically or whatever. I mean, England, G- England players, is it? Why wouldn't Rooney say it? Why wouldn't Well, like, Genus has retired, yeah. Yeah. as far as I'm yeah. aware. Yeah. I don't think Rooney would know the difference if he was playing on concrete at school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, we don't train anyway, do we? We just play keepy up here all the time. But they still do head tennis. Yeah, 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 do you know what? It was really funny. They had a picture of the Arsenal players training before the match at Villa, and they were playing head tennis over a net. Really? Literally, they were playing head right. tennis over a net. Well, I mean, one person whose who's view I do respect watched the warm-up. I think it was before the Bayern game away and said basically it reminded them of a Sunday morning pub team yeah. um, and they made the point that uh, on the continent even in pre-match the warm-up is done with, with the ball yeah. a lot more than Arsenal seem to use and apparently Shad Forsyth's input into the preparation of the players is not actually that extensive right um, well who was the Liverpool manager who in the 60s and 70s who was it uh Who's Liverpool only trained with the ball? All this training without the ball. They, Presumably, Bill Shankly. Bill Shankly had this had this ethic that if you don't train with the ball, then you know don't bother. Basically, that anything else is nonsense. And and they had this thing where Liverpool only trained with the well, ball. I think we trained with the ball a lot as well. Yeah, I think we, we should. We trained it's, a hell of it's football. I mean, you know, it's and not one thing being an athlete. No, but it's warm up. We're talking warm up. Yeah, warm up. Yeah, yeah. No, but well, I'm talking. Tra- I'm talking training Monday to Friday. Mm. I think we use the ball a hell of a lot more than other teams do. Yeah, but I'm talking about why players are getting injured. Right. Yeah. You know, in terms of like not being properly prepared. Yeah. And getting muscle injuries during a game. Yeah, but whatever we're doing, City and United are doing exactly the same thing. Well, this is true. I mean, you know, it's not unique to Arsenal. Uh, although, historically, if you do go back over, let's say, the last 10 years, mm. Arsenal have lost close on double the amount of... <laughs> to anyone else. Yeah. Well, look at the difference between players today and players, say, in the 70s, right, or the 50s. or what Well, they used to just inject them with cortisone. Well, yeah, well, all they, and they used, and they to, can't they used walk to have a now. nip of whiskey before they went out in November, <laughs> didn't they? they did. uh, uh, you know, Frank McClintock. <laughs> City at half time. <laughs> yeah, uh, cigarettes going out, um, and they weren't rich. Is that psycho- Is there something in the you know spoilt, pampered millionaire life, driving around in a bubble, and then suddenly you're on a pitch with some bloke giving it the elbow, <laughs> right, or whatever from oh. Stoke? Did you see that elbow? Might that, might that mentally kind of make you just a little bit... Did you see that elbow that Giroud got in his back in Athens last week? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I felt that. Oh, yeah, my yeah. God, and he went down. And the, oh, com- yeah. the commentator said, oh, nothing. I think Giroud's overreacted. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I'd say, well, you get, a, you get an elbow right smack bang in the middle of your back and see yeah, how you yeah. like it. Yeah. 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 But, but, but no, I mean, the players at Manchester United hate being there because they're training without the ball. Boringly and religiously and uninterestingly and they can't wait to get away mm. you, I don't think you ever hear any Arsenal players say training's boring but I do think something was pointed out by the, the ex-QPR uh, manager yesterday on, on Match of the Day 2 and he pointed out that I think it was Walcott and who else that and Ozil and someone else who ran back uh, and, and, and scra- scrapped a little bit Flamini I think 
Um, they, were, they were up front and they were running back to help out their team. Um, this is something that, you know, the, what I call the Ray Parler um, technique, which is, you know, if you lose the ball, you make damn sure you get it back. Whereas sometimes, like, Ozil will lose the ball and just sort of stand there and go, oh, well, I've lost the ball. Mm. That is, you know, uh, hunting in packs, you know, wanting it, basically, mm. really, really battling a little bit. I think we've got more of that this season than we certainly have the last few seasons. And why? What's changed? I think the cock has definitely put a bit of... Uh, Bit of that in there, a bit of uh, elbow grease. That's helped. Um, Winning two FA Cups probably helped. Yeah. And this time they want to go a little bit further and win the title. Maybe this group of players is maturing now and mm. and, and and learning. You know, they're not quite as green behind the ears as they have been over the last few years. But but the willingness to track back is also a lot to do with how fit they are, because they're not going to sprint 60 yards back if they know they're going to be knackered by the time they get there and then can't go forward again 60 yards when suddenly their teammate has regained the ball so I don't know I mean I don't know all the answers here obviously but if you're not fit enough you're not going to do the tracking back whatever your desire is you're just not going to do it because you're not physically capable of it well, maybe so Shep maybe Shannon has yeah. done something in yeah. that area. Yeah. I don't know. Absolutely. Maybe he's, he's uh, good point. Um, good point, Phil. Mm. Well, let's give Shad some credit for that. <laughs> maybe it is Shad Forsyth. He's not stopping the injuries, but maybe yeah. he's made him fit. Maybe it is Shad Forsyth because the, he he coached the German team, didn't he, when they won the World Cup? Yes. And they ran their socks off as well. Yes. Um, and got and got a few fair few hamstrings. Did they? If I remember rightly. Really. During that tournament. Mm, okay. Yeah, I think there's that 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 no one shall pass attitude. Uh, you know is more, more evident than it has been in the last few years. So would you say now that there are actually leaders in the team? Categorically, no. Right. Because don't you need no. those? I think Petrocek is also a big difference. That's not, lest we forget the geezer with the funny hat. Because the cat in the hat. Yes, the cat in the hat, and I don't think his departure from Chelsea has helped the Blue Noses much either. Which is well, he wasn't playing last. Doesn't season. matter. Just the fact he's there. I think he might be a presence in the dressing room and a presence on the pitch. That if you've got him behind you, that there is a ripple effect up the pitch that, that changes everything. And remember when you know Schmeichel, Seaman, all these keepers that are really good keepers. It, it just it sets the precedent for the rest of the team to say, okay, right, this, we've got to do this. It's like having your dad behind you or something and saying, come on, son, get, get a move on. Yeah, so I, I, I think I think Czech is the leader. I, I, yeah. I agree. I think he yeah. uh, he doesn't he doesn't demonstrate on the pitch in a big vocal way or anything. He's not shouting at people on the pitch. Mm. But I think you're right in the dressing room. He probably is. And, and somebody said on uh, on Twitter, uh, we didn't lose those first couple of games in the Champions League because. Czech didn't play. We lost because everybody played crap. The defence was rubbish. Yeah, well, the defence would be better if they had a quality goalkeeper behind them and they had the confidence in him and he, they knew that he knew what he was doing. So, just the fact that Ospina didn't make a mistake for every single goal we conceded in those two games doesn't mean that having Czech in there wouldn't have changed the results. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, so that's one indication and as Basti says, that, that has a ripple effect up the team. Yeah. The defence is more confident. They... They just work better as a unit. Everyone just everything just flows better if you've yeah, well, got, got a solid base. They made two brilliant saves in they, Athens they, when we were two 0 up to keep it at two. two exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, I remember when I was at school, uh, my teacher saying, "Look, look you're, I was in goal," and he said, "Right, you're the captain of the defence. Right, that's your job." So that, that, that people, someone like Chesney or Ospina, are not the captain of the defence. Whereas Czech is definitely, you know, he's a World Cup, he's you know, he's, yeah. a, he's a, a Champions League winner. You know, he's been there. Uh, he's got the experience, and he is. Yeah, he, he's for me. It's like having a, a Seaman or a Schmeichel, like someone who, even though Seaman didn't shout at anyone, he was a, completely passive mm. in that respect. Mm. Mm. But just having him there, there's there's something mentally. You're not, you haven't got that. Oh God, if I balls this up, there's no chance feeling. You think. But what I wanted though against Sunderland when we were hanging on two one, and they, they were breaking with speed and alacrity. Great, great word that, isn't it? <laughs> and, um, and, and they look like after half a bottle they, of uh, they look, just looking at cabinet. They, they look like sure. they were going to equalise at any minute. And what you wanted was was one of the two centre backs, you know, to, to clench your fist and say to the rest of the team, "Come on, they're breaking through too frequently. Do not let them run. Have them over. Take a book in. You know, they're exposing us too much here. You know, let's just fucking, you know, get tough. Hold the line. Don't let them run. That's what I wanted from that from that, our defence against Sunderland." 
And people say we haven't got any leaders. That's what they mean. Well, there was a picture you on know. the front of the Arsenal program once, I think, or somewhere in the Arsenal program. Tony Adams clenching his fist and going, "Come on, like that," you know. Yeah. And, and we've said it there, clenching his fist. Why Mertesacker? We, I mean, Mertesacker is a sort of natural captain. You know, he feels like a bit of a Tony Adams. He needs to actually do that, clench his fist and shake it at people. Yeah. And, and we were standing up in that the would make a difference. But I think we were standing Czech up in the North Bank saying, for fuck's sake, show some leadership. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? That's what it needs. If we were on the pitch, we'd have been shouting, wouldn't we? Oh, well, I was, <laughs> anyway. say, Don't let him through. Yeah. You know? I know. And Czech doesn't say that. Bless him. No. All right. Well, I mean, um, in uh, Greece, we uh, got this 3 nil incredible win. We're wearing a particular kit, which uh, had got a, bad, a bit of a bad press from a lot of supporters so far this season. Much derided the blue third away kit. Do you actually think that it makes a blind bit of difference to the players what kit they're wearing? Well, psychologically, um, I think maybe it does make a very small difference. And in top-level sport, fine margins can make a difference. You know, if, you, if you're 1% off your game, then the other guy can beat you. If, he's, if he only happens to be normally half a percent worse than you, and you give him a 1% advantage, then he's going to win. So, yeah, it can make a difference. If the team aren't feeling 100% on their form because they're not wearing the kit they're used to, you know, what about when Man United wore those grey shirts mm. all those years ago and they changed them half time because they, they, couldn't they, see. they said they couldn't see each other. But, well, maybe they, could, maybe they couldn't. But the fact is they weren't comfortable in those shirts and they were losing. Mm. So it doesn't really matter whether there's a physical effect. If there's a mental effect by even half a percent, that can make a difference. Well, there's another now, thing. I'm, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying that those, that, that kit is necessarily to blame for losing to... Um, Sheffield Wednesday or um, was Wednesday United we were at Norwich we were at Norwich I'm surprised it didn't turn up at the weekend as well I was, you know, the contractual yeah. obligation is presumably fulfilled for December yeah. you know, so yeah. um, the, the, you know, the Christmas market is okay they think enough of them will be bought by December 25th so we can stop wearing it for the moment um, but yeah I think it, it, it can make a small difference and it's, it's not a traditional Arsenal thing so a lot of people don't like it for that reason anyway um, me I'm, included I mean, I've written about this in this month's spine, so I won't go on too much about it. But I will say that <clears throat> I think when we're away from home and we're playing a team where our kit doesn't clash with theirs, we should always wear our home kit. Yeah, yeah. What I don't like is wearing an away kit when there's no colour clash. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you look up and you've got to make a quick decision and a pass, and you see someone in that with a red shirt and white sleeves, that Arsenal kit. And also, to put, there's something worth noting here that in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, the teams that predominantly won the league were Liverpool, Man United, uh, and then Arsenal as well. And that, there's something about red on a green background. If you're looking up, is that we're on a green pitch. Red is, you know, red, it, it puts fear, it's the colour of blood, right? It's the colour of, it's, it's anger, it's blood, it's come on, let's have a go. It's, you know, um, how many kits in, teams in green kits win leagues? Uh, not only that. Verde Bremen and Celtic, well, Celtic, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, but they've got, you know, that's, not that's Scotland. That. West Brom and Sporting Lisbon, I think. Well, yeah, but the point being, it's only recently, like, Sky Blue and Blue has been winning leagues, and that's just tons of money, Right. But uh, mark my words, if everyone had the same money and the same resources, and you had red kits and you had blue kits, <laughs> the red kits would be winning them. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah. historically, if you look at it... I mean, in England, win, perhaps. In England, yes. But so, England, England, when Barcelona come to the Emirates in February, they won't be wearing their red and blue because it will clash with ours. Mm. So they will be wearing an away kit. Mm. And they've got a horrible away kit. Well, I've, I've yeah. think, a whole range of horrible away kits. So it's probably going to be pink or something, isn't it? Yeah, the pink one. Yeah. So, so I think we're going to have a better chance of beating Barcelona in pink than, I would be, the, the, than if they were wearing red and blue. Mm. It's psychological. Can we, not wear, our red and kit. Can we not wear our red and white kit against Barcelona's home kit? Because Barcelona's home kit is much too close to uh, that third kit we've got that we don't like. Um, well, we didn't like until we, we, we won oh, the we'll wear, we'll wear the we'll wear the brown kit over there, won't we? Yeah, but I'm not sure about that. It's not gold. It's not yellow. It's, it, it's, it's dark gold. But now, what, what's with it? It looks like everyone's sort of having a bad sweat day, doesn't it? Yeah. It does some sort of... doesn't make yeah. the players look... Like you, it looks like they're all sweating. I, I actually prefer it? the black kit than I do the gold one. Uh, it could do a bit brighter. Yeah, yeah. It's rather dull. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, there might be something in this sort of psychological thing, because do we remember the origins of the White Sleeps? And mm-hmm. how they came about? Nottingham Forest. No, 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 no. The first kits, red kits, lent, were lent no, to us. There's by a Nottingham reason Forest. why Arsenal adopted White Sleeves. Because Herbert Chapman was playing golf, and he saw a guy with a white shirt on, a white long sleeve shirt, and a red sleeveless pullover on top of it. And he thought it looked awesome. And he thought, oh my goodness, that looks absolutely brilliant. I think what it was, in all fairness, was it, it stood out to him. Because yeah. you also must remember, yeah. there was a reason for hoop socks yeah. being introduced yeah. by Chapman. Yeah. Uh, we, boy, we could do with hoop socks this year. <laughs> I can tell you one thing, Chapman wouldn't have used the word awesome. No. He'd have definitely <laughs> said, like, he'd have said sick, <laughs> dashing or tremendous. <laughs> or... He'd have said, whoa, those socks are sick. Correct. <laughs> um, <laughs> But anyway, the following Saturday, we didn't have to, you know, fulfil a, con- a contract obligation in those days. The following Saturday, we turned out in white sleeves halfway through the season. And the rest is history. The rest is history, yeah. OK, I'm going to uh, do another bit of history now, because it's, it's uh, this season, or the end of it, will mark ten years since the move from Highbury. And there is a feature, uh, well, it's the subject of the free Guna calendar with the next issue. And uh, it recalls 12 memorable matches at the new stadium. So I'm going to ask you for some reminiscences on a particular game, for whatever reason, uh, just to mark this uh, 10th anniversary and the Guna calendar. Steve, I'm going to start with you. Oh, well, it's been loads. We, we spoke about this a little bit earlier. We did say loads. And, just you know, pick one. I said pick one. Ipswich in the League Cup semi-final was a good game, I remember. Um, we were one down up to about 70 minutes against Ipswich in a semi-final. And they were in the division below at they the time? Were in the division below. We eventually got through by scoring two late goals and, and lost in the finals of Birmingham. But that isn't the great game. My, my favourite is the two is the 5-2 against Spurs. The first one? When we, we, yeah, when we were 2-0 down on a lovely hot sunny day in February. Hmm. Couldn't believe the weather that day. Middle of the winter and it was like a spring day. Fantastic. We went two down. Adebayo scored one of them. Mike got two. I can't remember. And then the renaissance began. Sagna bulleted in a header, didn't he? Um, someone else equalised before half-time to make it 2-2. And then Walcott, second half, up the North Bank end. Bosch, brilliant goals. The net just bulged again and again and again. And I remember that was probably the ultimate Emirates day out, that one. Loved it, every minute of it. Well, he had two. So I'm going to be really I'm going to leave you with nothing. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, my, my first, uh, I, I think, but beating Barcelona, but beating Barcelona, um, and that whole de- evening turned up, and really made an effort. The whole stadium went, kind of, you know, had all, all the fireworks and everything, and then, and then beating them. Was it two nil or two one? Two one. It was two one, wasn't it? Yeah, and it was uh, that little Russian fella. Was, yes, I've forgotten his name. It was. <laughs> no, I met him once in Belsize Park. Of course, then had to drop a name. Met him. He was. Quite, he was quite rude. He was. He wasn't one of those friendly. Well, Russians you normally are. are. <laughs> no, but well, I mean, you could say that about the Dutch, but they're, they're actually, you can't. The Dutch are usually really friendly, whereas Overmars wasn't. But maybe it's just. Maybe it's because I'm very tall, and when I meet, they were both very small, so that might be it. The Dutch be, people are normally very tall. Not Overmars. I know, but they are the tallest race in the world, so Overmars would be used to that. Anyway, we, we are digressing, and the listener would like to know uh, <laughs> so that yes that, that was because you left the stadium just buzzing thinking you were beaten Barcelona so that was great and then the other one was also Tottenham um, which is when Walcott got injured and uh, it was Rosicki scored this great just ran up the pitch and scored this great goal and that was another game that I think that, that, that was a, a fantastic game and worth that. Walcott being injured for because uh, I remember him being stretching off past all the Tottenham fans and they were all hurling abuse at him he just smiled he gave them the V sign or something, but yeah. not, not uh, the victory sign it was the FA Cup third round I think it was um, uh, when we went on to win the trophy yeah, yeah. yeah. lots of FA Cup games since then that's right so, yeah. that, so for that alone yes definitely in there now you've got a bit of a Phil oh well I'll make one up don't worry uh, okay. well, uh, the very first game actually um, against Villa because uh, I suppose it was the promise of what was to come in the future which has not panned out to be the glory that we had hoped as yet but um, but I thought it was a great atmosphere for that first match we, we went 1-0 down some, some other idiot scored the first competitive goal at the stadium and then we equalised near the end I can't remember who equalised that uh, Gilberto 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 yeah that's it. Um, and it was Villa so, so I, I suppose yeah it was Villa so I suppose that one for the sort of the the newness and the promise of the future 
And then there was another one against Villa, which would have been about uh, 2009, uh, definitely 2009-10 season, which was the first one that I ever took my son to when he was still only three. Um, and it was, it, was, um, it was quite entertaining because he got rather tired in the second half and had to uh, uh, lie down. Luckily, the seats are quite big. So he lay down and put his head on my lap, but he still joined in with the clapping. He wasn't <laughs> looking at the picture or anything, but when everybody clapped, he joined in with that, which was quite amusing. Uh, and some bloke behind us bellowed really loudly some shout at, at one of the players halfway through the match and scared the life out of my poor son. Um, so then the bloke gave him a badge to cheer him up, which was very nice. Uh, and also, we witnessed a rare Abu Dhabi goal that afternoon in a three-one win. So, yeah, it exciting all. times! Some great wins, actually. I think it's it's superb. I in fact, every win is flipping bright. <laughs> on, on a non on a non uh, competitive level, I think the Dennis Bergkamp game there, which I think was the first actual game, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And getting the Dennis Bergkamp T-shirt. In fact, if you went up the back at the top, there were loads of free ones as well. So I've got a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, Call me a call me a snorer, but I uh, couldn't help it because hey, and and you know because Dennis was such an important player for Arsenal. I think that that's got to stand out there as an important game yeah, as well. Yeah, definitely. And did we beat Blackburn seven 0 as well? One. That was the yes. Thierry Henry had one yeah. chalked off because it, it was yeah. an own goal. It was yeah. awarded in the end, yeah. so it would have been. Uh, I remember that one. Yes, uh, I think it was FA Cup. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Well, Rob Gregory email. <clears throat> on this theme, and he said, <clears throat> after almost a decade at the new stadium, how do the panel members now view it? Do they think of it as home, or still our new home? Very much home. I mean, I'm one of the few people that loves the Emirates. In my little circle of friends, when we talk about home, going to matches and stuff, the amount of people that say, ah, oh, the, the Emirates is not a library, it's not home, Arsenal ended in 2006 when we moved to that dump. Well, I'm, I'm the only person that ever says, I don't agree with that. I love the Emirates. I think it's fantastic. Walking up the stairs, taking my seat. I never get, you know, never get fed up with the buzz. You know, every time Arsenal score a goal, to be honest, every game is like a cup final. I mean, we're privileged to go to a stadium that every other fan in world football would love as their home stadium. As I say, every match is like a cup final. The other team probably raises its game. Because of that, we have to raise our game because of that. Very rarely see a bad game at the Emirates. I don't agree that it's like a library either. Um, I think it's brilliant. Love every minute of it. I think that's, that's rather rose tinted that you very yeah. rarely see a bad game there, Steve, to be honest. No, I don't think you see too many bad games. <laughs> oh, well, God, well I mean, is it home? <laughs> or is it still... I turned around and said, this is the worst I've ever seen this play. <laughs> is it still uh, a new home to you? How do you feel about it? Um, I, I, I'm coming to accept it, I guess, yeah. I mean, many happy memories from Highbury, which are sort of gradually fading into the distance. Um, but it's it's a really nice stadium. Uh, I, I guess we just need some more sort of glory nights in it. We haven't had that many yet in the ten years. So um, from that point of view, plus uh, the fact that um, I still despise the name and uh, and I continue to edit out Steve's every mention of the word Emirates in his columns in every issue of the Guna, despite him trying to speak a couple in every single time. He's not going to get it past me. So. Um, I, I think the, um, the the club were foolish to give the name away and dilute the brand. Um, it's uh, that was a ridiculous decision. So that that kind of puts me off it. But it is it's a nice stadium. I I don't you know I don't object going to it other than the prices. Um, and uh, and I've had some good times there, but not as many as the good times at Highbury as yet. I think on the subject of the, the stadium name. Uh, as we may or not know, that on European Champions League matches, it's called Arsenal Stadium. They're not allowed to call it Emirates Mm. Stadium. Mm. So, actually, it is Arsenal Stadium. Uh, And I think it's down to the media and down to... Because I don't think the BBC or or the the Times are contractually obliged to call it Emirates Stadium. They could call it Arsenal Stadium if they wanted to. So, actually, I still refer to it as Arsenal Stadium because I've never seen an Emirates play there, right? And that's the way I feel about it. Uh, and actually, I would say, you know, if the whole media and everyone ganged up and said, right, we're just going to call it Arsenal Stadium, then that's what it would become. So it's funny, isn't it? It's a sort of perspective. As far as the actual vibe of the stadium and everything's concerned, it's got, obviously, it's got a lot better. It's been Arsenalised 
and I love those, those I love programs. I love the pro, you know what's with that wall with all the programs on it and all the, the club badges around it. And yeah, and, club and, shirts and, are there. And then downstairs you've got all the, you've got all the you've got all the you know sort of uh, 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 images and school kids stuff on the wall. So like very Arsenal. I think if you were if you were Arsenal and you've given that stadium to the fans, and you've you know the outside of it looks fantastic with all yeah. the murals and stuff. The, 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 way the way they've engineered it, it looks superb. The pitch is fantastic. They've given that to the fans. And then for the fans to turn around and say, oh, don't like it. No, but I will say this, Steve. <laughs> I mean, I, I, think it's, I think it's a bit of an insult to, to Arsenal. No, right? no, I will say yeah. this, Steve. It's a bit like, OK, and my, my dear old mum, rest her soul, will take this in the right spirit. You know, I lost my mum a couple of years ago. And, yeah, Highbury is like your mum, right? Mm, mm. And this shiny new stadium is like a very nice wife. And there's nothing wrong with a lovely, beautiful wife, but it will never be a mum. No, I agree. I love Highbury. It's, it, it's residing very firmly and lovely. I say it, she, but I'm talking about a stadium. Sorry, ladies. Highbury was very lovingly <laughs> in my memory. I, I love Highbury to the day I die. But that doesn't mean to no, say how, I can't. How can you have a but? That doesn't mean to say that I can't love the Emirates too, does no, it? No, you can love, exactly. You yeah, can love your yeah, wife and you yeah, can love your mum. Yeah, yeah. And I think Arsenal's done a brilliant job. Okay. Um, what do you think, Ken? I think that... Uh, I think the atmosphere, the the acoustics get lost in the upper tier, and that's uh, unfortunate. Mm. They do where you sit. That's a very not, good point. Not so much in the wise. Not so much in the north bank. Yes. Atmosphere wise, it's disastrous. Let's be honest. Well, it certainly is upstairs. I think downstairs it's far better. Mm. Um, so in terms of design of a football stadium, I haven't got it quite right. I don't think the the rake in the lower tier is actually very good. It actually reminds me a bit of Wembley in that basically you don't get a decent view from downstairs unless you're pretty much uh, at the side. Mm. Um, Maybe there's something they could do design-wise with that because... Yeah, I think what they had a height restriction. Yes. So they had to have a low rate downstairs. Um, no, I'm talking about the upper tier because with the upper tier, if you look at it, it uh, has that sort of... that sort of It bends down and then there are those glass... Yeah. Those they, glass yeah, frames. The wind comes through. The wind comes the through. Wind the corners, yeah. well, no, but that's the thing is they, they should seal that off. Well, the original idea was that, that that would let in a bit of wind and sun, but yeah. they don't need the sun now because they've got these artificial yeah. lights which do that job. Mm. Uh, but if you look at somewhere like the San Siro in Milan, the fact that it doesn't get much in the way of natural daylight or, or anything in terms of elements, it, the pitch is normally yeah. a complete disaster. Yeah. Yeah. But acoustically. Yeah. To improve the, the atmosphere, so only a few people sing to try and make it as loud as possible, mm. and that would then, in turn, get everyone else singing. No, totally, if you have, oh, let me finish. If you have, if you had an angle from the back, from the bottom up, so that it was facing—I don't know how to describe this verbally—but um, uh, rather than just go a straight edge of mm. the glass going around, that it leant forward and, right. and down, so keep in. You, the, the sound would bounce off and, and head downwards towards oh, the pitch. Okay. So, so basically, instead of that, going and go escaping mm. to trap the sound so that it goes down. Yeah. That's that that might well. be an idea. That's all very well, Basti. But if you put fifty thousand South American fans in there. It wouldn't matter what the design of the stadium this was. This is true. That's they true. Would, shit. They would, <laughs> they would go loopy in that stadium. Yeah. You, the atmosphere would be unbelievable. Well, we've got a load of fucking property developers all looking at their mobile phones. And, Japanese, and in fact, and you Jap know what they should do? They should ban mobile phones and from being Japanese on. No one should be looking at their mobile phone while they're supporting Arsenal. Mm. It's, uh, and don't give me the bloody liberty bit and free Hand them in at the turnstiles. Just throw them away. So never mind that. Instead of, instead of everyone saying, well, let's beef up the Wi-Fi in there, just block everything. So yeah. just have a jamming yeah. signal yeah. stop yeah. anybody using a phone. That's a, yeah, well... Not a bad idea. And remember the days of the North Bank, the first time mobile phones came, someone would look at, pick their phone out, oh, you couldn't look at them then, you just spoke on them, and someone was talking on their phone, they'd get right dirty looks, like, how dare you, halfway through Arsenal playing, be having a conversation with someone well, I, about I, nothing I, to do with Arsenal. If someone sends me a text during a game, I ignore it, I don't answer it. I turn all my phone time off. I'm, I turn all the time I'm sitting there, I'm hearing it go, beep, 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 beep. I, I think, turn my I think phone for me, off. it does depend on the quality of the match. What makes it They're all great, I'm not going to send a text to someone when there's a match on, am I? No, but out of respect for the game, you, you turn the phone off when you go in the stadium. That's it. <laughs> you watch the game. No, no, it's respect for the... It's also, what it is, is, am I going to pay... 40, 50, 60, 70 quid to not watch a game. I've sat there and watched people look at their phones for like 50% of the match. Do the crossword. What are you doing mm, here? Yeah, you know, yeah. we've all seen French, it. But, we've all you know. seen it. Right, anyway, gentlemen, we are out of time. So I have just enough time to plug the next issue with the Gooner. 
It comes out at the Manchester City game and includes um, a feature on Guna characters, a piece on keepers over the last decade, recollections of Sunderland's visit to the in the FA Cup third round back in 1961, articles on ticket prices, squad rotation and the obsession with Spurs, George Graham's first season at the club as manager, and plenty more, including your free 2016 calendar, which we mentioned earlier, celebrating some of the best games witnessed at the Grove since the move. Uh, it's £2.50 from sellers on your route to the stadium, and it's also on sale at the games against Bournemouth, Newcastle, and the FA Cup against Sunderland. Or you can buy it through our website shop, or even the e-edition from iTunes and other places. Plugs and links are always to be found at the bottom of my editorials on the matches. You can contact us regards the podcast. If you've got any questions, topics for next time, Twitter is at Gunapodcast, or the email address is gunapodcast at gmail.com. That just leaves us with time to say goodbye from Phil. Goodbye and thank you, Kevin. Mustafa. Goodbye. And Steve. Merry Christmas. We will be back with another edition in January. Enjoy the festive season. This is your host, Kevin Witcher, saying farewell and thanks for listening. La-di-da-di-da, la-di-da-di-dee. All good friends and jolly good company. Well, hey! <laughs>